Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of TG Talk. I'm your host, Cody Delmendo, and I am the coordinator of communications for the Fraternity Service Center. And I'm happy to bring you another foundation episode featuring SAE alumnus and governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum. This episode focuses on the lifelong significance of fraternal membership and the importance of values-based leadership. Once you finish the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and tell us what you think. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Sigma Alpha Epsilon, on Facebook at SAE Fraternity, and on Twitter at SAE1856. And of course, you can search Sigma Alpha Epsilon on LinkedIn to find us as well. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to, uh, to do this interview. Been looking forward to some time now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, Steve, first of all, I, I just want to say uh, honored to be part of this and uh, thank you for your leadership, uh, the work that you're doing and everybody at national and everybody at the chapter level because uh, uh, SAE has been such an important part of my life uh, and it continues to be an important part of my life. Uh, I just want to say again, thank you for the great work because, you know, building a future generation of leaders and doing that, you know, built around the values of SAE, built around the true gentleman. Uh, yeah, America needs young leaders like this more than ever. And I think the work is more important than ever. So uh, honored, honored to be with you. But uh, in terms of uh, background, yeah, I grew up in Arthur, North Dakota. Uh, it was a town of, at its peak, about 400 people. I spent my first 18 years there. We got to 400 people by counting the 100 people that lived in the Good Samaritan home. Uh, otherwise, we'd have been like 300. Uh, so we were a 400 person community. Uh, I went to uh, North Dakota State University undergrad. Uh, Knew, knew, knew coming in that I was going to pledge SAE, uh, best fraternity on campus. Uh, my older brother uh, had been in SAE, had friends from hometown that were there, and uh, they were, SAE was leaders in everything, whether it was, you know, uh, student government, uh, service organizations, athletics, uh, music and theater, uh, academics. I mean, it was, a, it was a very competitive Greek system back in the 70s at NDSU, very active at SE was uh, the top of the top, still is, by the way, uh, at North Dakota Beta. Uh, so it was a great group of people to be in. And, and one thing that was also, uh, my dad had passed away in 1971 when I was a freshman in high school, uh, but he, he was uh, in, uh, gone, he went to NDSU in the 1930s and it turns out that today, the day you're doing this interview on April 6th is the 86th anniversary of the forming of the North Dakota Beta chapter at North Dakota State. And my dad was one of those young men that was part of that inaugural group that went in. And that group was a uh, group of young men. They came out of college, World War II started. My dad and many others uh, that were in that group ended up serving in World War II. They enlisted after Pearl Harbor went on. Uh, and one of his uh, friends from growing up from a nearby town, uh, seven miles away from Arthur, Amenia, North Dakota, was uh, another uh, another you know small town kid that was an SAE. Uh, they both ended up in uh, as naval officers. They both ended up in the Pacific. They both ended up living in, and that friend of his was uh, Governor Bill Guy, 
who was the other North Dakota governor. There's been 33, but he was the other one who was an SAE. Uh, and so uh, we like to say that, you know, close to uh, one sixteenth of governors in North Dakota have been SAEs, but uh, Bill Guy was the first governor I met. He was a, a, a came to my dad's funeral, uh, as did a number of other fraternity brothers when I was a freshman in high school. And uh, that made an impression on me right then, because you know, there you were all those years later and uh, the brothers were still standing shoulder to shoulder and they, they uh, sang the little sister song to my mom, who was a little sister, because her older brother was part of that original group in 1935, when little sisters actually were little sisters of members. And, and so, it, so we had a deep family connection, uh, but it's uh, been a, certainly a meaningful thing for me my, uh, for my whole life. So uh, a crazy question. Is it true you actually hitchhiked to Alaska? Well, yeah, absolutely. And you can ask my... Uh, fraternity brothers about that because it was uh, between my uh, uh, sophomore and junior year of college, so 1976, and I uh, left from Fargo, hitchhiked uh, to the west coast of British Columbia, uh, jumped on a ferry, uh, slept on the deck, uh, got up to Skagway, hiked uh, over the Chilkoot Trail for about five days, made it over to Dawson and the Yukon, and then hitchhiked my way uh, uh, all the way up through Alaska, and then uh, but the, uh, the route home was it got on a plane and got home in time to be in my older brother's wedding with a bunch of other SEs from his era uh, in another small town in North Dakota. But uh, that was a great, uh, uh, a great, great adventure in the uh, bicentennial year. Well, that, so uh, what was your favorite experience, either as an undergrad or as an alumni being an SAE? Well, I think at undergrad, uh, there was so many valuable lessons. I had an opportunity as a uh, sophomore to be a rush chairman. When I was a senior, I had an opportunity to be a, a EA of the chapter. And we had, you know, so many uh, great things there, but we, we had, were very competitive in intramural sports. Uh, we took that very, very seriously. Uh, we were very uh, serious about being involved in leadership. So in between being rush chairman and EA, I was student body president uh, for NDSU. That was the last time I ran for an elected office was when I was in college, and then I, uh, you know, took about forty years off between that and running for governor, which is my first uh, time I'd run for office for anything in politics. Uh, but all of those lessons learned—I mean, the leadership responsibilities uh, that I that I had at the chapter, uh, and uh, the camaraderie, the brotherhood, uh, the values, the true gentleman, which I've always had—I've uh, I've had it on a card. Uh, in my wallet, and I've had it on a plaque on the wall my entire life. I've tried to live by that, and I think that has served me well. Uh, it certainly served me well as, an, as when I was an entrepreneur and was uh, uh, building and starting uh, uh, tech companies. Those values uh, that we learned in those leadership lessons uh, were a were inc incredible asset uh, for me my entire life. So I mean, I, I just feel like that uh, there's so much that I owe to SAE and the, the values-based leadership. It was really the big takeaway for me that, and of course, a group of lifetime, lifetime friends that come came from that. So it's interesting that almost everyone that we've interviewed says something similar. I actually I don't know if you can see it, but I have it, the same thing right here. And when I was at AT and T for nearly thirty years, I had it on my desk, and every day I would look at the true gentleman, and every day I would think I, I feel like that is such a high bar. But then I finally, you make peace with it. And you're like, as long as you're gaining on every day, then you're, you're getting better, better than you were the day before. 
So that's right. Uh, uh, and, you know, aspirational progress, not perfection. And and I think that one of the things in the true gentleman is uh, so needed today in our country is the uh, the really it speaks to the compassion and the empathy and the understanding of people that may be in different situations than we are. And I think that that's been a, a super valuable leadership tool for me my whole life. Thanks to the rights and feelings of other rather than his own. I mean, it's unfortunate that people can't do that more often. Yes. So I heard a, I heard a great story about you and you, you tell me if it's true or not, but when you were selling your company to Microsoft, they flew in and you took them out for a day on the range, if you will. You put them to work. <laughs> well, is we, that true? We, well, yeah, when we were working on uh, uh, some of the integration work with Microsoft, there was a team that came in and we uh, decided to get out of Fargo and we uh, met on a ranch uh, and had a chance to, uh, uh, you know, get on horseback and go out and work some cattle uh, and do all that. And I think uh, when you get a chance to uh, see people in that environment versus in the, uh, uh, you know, just sitting across a, a conference room table, you really uh, can you know, get a chance to really understand each other and where you're coming from. And, and I think that we, uh, and it's interesting you bring that up too, because today, uh, uh, actually yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the acquisition of Great Plains Software by Microsoft. And uh, that was a, obviously a historic day uh, when that happened uh, for all the 2000 plus team members that were part of Great Plains. But it was, a, a again, a lot of the same values that I learned at SAE, we tried to really apply when we were building. We were really a value-based company. We were a tech company, but we were really value-based. And, and that was a, a key thing. And I, I am, uh, know that the, uh, the, the, those 2000 team members also had a big impact uh, on the trajectory of Microsoft, which of course is one of the great companies in the world today. Sure. So you, you know, Governor, you've had a lot of success over the years. What, what do you attribute it to? Well, I, I you know, you have to start uh, first of all with uh, with my parents. I mean, I I was uh, <clears throat> it was very fortunate to have uh, two parents that were uh, again really grounded in a lot of values, uh, and and obviously hard work was one of those. Uh, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, and sometimes, uh, but if you uh, uh, you know, they, you know, if you're the one that's working the hardest, sometimes then people think you're the luckiest because it puts you in a position. So I had a lot of great, uh, you know, great support uh, from them. Uh, but, you know, then, you know, overcoming the loss of my dad dying when I was a freshman in high school, my mom went back to work. So I was, uh, she was a single mother, uh, you know, working and, you know, trying to raise three kids. And I, I think I gained a lot of empathy and understanding uh, in a different way. Uh, and a lot of lessons learned from my mom after my dad was gone. And so it was, uh, I give them credit, but then I, you know, I fell in with a great group of people uh, at, at undergrad with, uh, with the SAE and the SAE house. And, and I get, again, I just have to say that really set me on a, a, great, a great trajectory. So a lot of times when I, I do these video podcast interviews, I hear people talk about mistakes. And it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of our younger brothers think, you can't make a mistake. And uh, I found quite the opposite to be true. So is there a mistake that you made that you can recall when you can talk about where you actually learned quite a bit uh, as a result of that? Well, I guess the first one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, after, uh, after undergraduate, I had a chance to go to uh, Stanford to business school, uh, which was a great experience for a couple of years. And then I had this fantastic job uh, working for McKinsey in Chicago, 
for three years. So, I mean, uh, you know, life was great. Uh, I came across and saw what was happening uh, in the very earliest days of the PC software industry and said, you know, wow, this is, this is going to change the world. Uh, you know, I'm young, I'm single. Uh, you know, I'd love to be getting back, uh, you know, back home to North Dakota, had an opportunity to, to buy into a little teeny startup in the software business. And I had inherited a small amount of farmland from my dad when he passed away. So I thought it was a great idea after all this education experience that I should mortgage the farm, literally bet the farm on me on, on putting the money in. So I literally took a mortgage out on this uh, farmland and then that became the seed capital for Great Plains. And, and I thought it was the greatest idea in the world. And then two weeks later, I went to Comdex, the giant show because all of my research, this is way before the internet, my research told me that there was about five companies in the, uh, in the world that had this idea of doing accounting software for PCs. And I wrote out the check, bet the farm, wrote out the check, got to Comdex, opened up the trade show book. There were 64 companies selling accounting software at the trade show, oh, <laughs> of no. which 59 I'd never heard of. And they were all way more capitalized than we were. And so like I started off my career with a massive mistake. I mean, if there, if I, yeah, I, I may not even ever written the check if I'd have known what I was getting into, but uh, you know, fear is a great motivator. Uh, when your whole family is initially said, boy, not a good idea to mortgage the farm or bet the farm on this, you know, this sort of completely, nobody knew what a software company was in 1983. Uh, anyway, I was, uh, that was a huge risk. And I, uh, but fear is a great motivator, put my head down, worked hard for the next eight years. We came out the other side as, you know, one of the leaders in the industry in the early 90s. And then we just kept building on it from there. But uh, I, I would have to list that one as a, uh, I guess you'd call that a mistake. So I've been more careful on my due diligence uh, ever since that first decision. But that uh, that's the key learning though, is you take that and you've probably used that hundreds of times since then, which is a key, which I, it's amazing. So what, if you could go back in time, is there anything in the early part of your career that you wish you could maybe do a little bit differently? Well, I, I don't know about that, but I would maybe say an offer on your prior question. If you said, hey, what else have you learned from mistakes? Because I think they're so valuable. But uh, we, we were a, a growing, successful, well-known, had a large customer base. And one of the things I think we know from the values of the fraternity you know, about integrity and trust is one of the key things that really matters. Uh, we put out a release of software, which we thought was our best ever. And it turned out that a within a few weeks, it was clear that there was some serious bugs in the software that were causing our customers and our partners uh, real challenges. And, and, and you know, we're, when you're doing accounting software and, and people are counting on you and their books aren't coming out right, uh, you know, that's a serious, uh, a serious, serious thing. And so the, I want to, we went into that, we had a, uh, our big conference, which was called Stampede. And we had which grew to, be a, grew to be a huge conference at Microsoft. It became the worldwide partner and customer conference at, at Microsoft with you know, 12,000 people. But we're talking in the early days, you know, this was uh, five, 600 of the most important people in the world all coming to Fargo for a meeting. We just released this really buggy software and it was uh, pitchforks and torches uh, coming after us. And in that day, you know, a lot of people might try to you know, bury a mistake like that with a, with a, a you know technology uh, kind of BS sort of thing, but you know we we took it head on, and I 
the opening night of the conference, I got up in front of everybody. And I think that, you know, the key lesson there was we, you know, wanted to take, you know, full accountability uh, for, for what for we, we knew was causing them issues. But to really set it up to help them understand how serious they, we were, we had a, a, a guessing game where we had examples of, you know, what would be, you know, metaphors for what we had done, like shoot yourself in the foot uh, and other uh, things like that. Well, one of the old, you know, sayings is, is, you know, we've got egg on our face. And so in front of 500 of our most important partners and customers, I took out a fresh uh, set of uh, uncooked eggs, grabbed a bunch of them and smashed them on my head in front of everybody. And then did the Q and A with uh, yolks dripping down my face uh, to really, you know, dramatize. And I can't even at the time remember, you know, we weren't trying to be a, make a spectacle, but it was really trying to say, look, we are we seriously understand we've got egg on our face, and we deeply apologize. And then as part of those remarks that night, I said, I know a lot of you want to sue us, and a lot of your customers want to sue us, uh, but. You know, we made an honest mistake. These are the changes we made in quality control. We're working to get a new release out to you at no cost. We'll ship it out to you at no cost. And if you have, can document the, the, the cost that it's been to you or your business, then don't get a lawyer. Just send us a letter and send us a bill for what your costs have been, and we'll figure out a way to pay you. We may not have all the money right now, but we'll figure out a way to make it whole with you. And we had zero lawsuits. I had people write letters and say, I'm sending you this letter to, you know, this thing cost us tens of thousands of dollars because of the problems with the software, but we've decided to drop all our other vendors and work just with you because what matters to us is trust and integrity and people wow. holding up their bargain. So I think, I think that the, you know, a lot of people think that leading is about, you know, bravado. Part of it's about the humility to understand that we, we make real mistakes uh, and it's sometimes if you could stand up and own those mistakes, uh, then you can earn the trust of people. And I, I think that was really a turning point for our company where we went from barely making it. Uh, and then people thought this was the death blow that was going to kill us. Our competitors were probably, that's the thing that's going to knock them out. And was actually the thing that launched us because Which, of the way we responded. Right. It, it actually could have been the death blow had you not handled it as well as you did. That's, that's a great takeaway. So, yep. Governor, you, you get this opportunity a lot, I would imagine, as governor, to, to speak to young people. And, and part of our target audience is people that are still in school, they're getting ready to graduate, those just got out, and then some that are maybe changing jobs. What kind of advice would you give them as they start their journey? What would you tell them, hey, this is, this is, it's been successful for me, and I think it will work for you. What would you tell them to do? Well, I think the key thing that I would say to any undergraduate today and in the, in the world changing as fast as it is, is that you, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the thing that I think is the most overused question for an undergraduate is, you know, what's your major, uh, you know, sort of in what's your major, what do you want to do in life? When I was an undergraduate, I was literally undecided. I mean, there was a thing at North Dakota State called university studies that you were supposed to go into as just a freshman. And then you were supposed to declare uh, which major and which college within the university that you're going to join uh, at the end of your freshman year. And I uh, snuck through in uh, the end of my freshman year, my end of my sophomore year and my junior year. And then they finally found me near the end of my junior year. And they're like, hey, 
Uh, you're still in university studies. This is a thing that's supposed to be for it's freshmen time. and undecided. Uh, and, uh, you know, we need you to do something. And I said, I, uh, I don't really have a, a selection. So we kind of negotiated a thing where I tried to take the hodgepodge of classes I'd taken the first three years and, and said, and I'll write a paper and I'll tell you what classes I'm taking my senior year. And so then I became uh, the, uh, there's a bit of dispute whether I was the first or among the first ever to graduate in a thing called university studies. So my undergraduate degree is not a BS or a BA, it's a, it's a BUS, so get on the bus with a bachelor of university studies, but I have a, uh, so I graduated as undecided. I went to grad school where I didn't have to declare a major at Stanford. So I was undecided for two years there, went to work for a, a great consulting firm, which was covering multiple industries. So I didn't have to decide there. And then that's when I, you know, got hit by the, uh, the, I, I, I sort of basically say got hit like a two by four in the head when I saw the first uh, electronic spreadsheet on an Apple II computer and said, that's going to change the world. Then I said, now I know what I want to do, but I was, you know, 25 years old when that happened. And, and guess what? When I was a senior in high school, I had never seen a personal computer. I'd never heard of, of software. There was not a computer in Arthur in the whole town. And so, you know, when people are graduating from high school and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I tell kids all the time now, look, there will be an entire new industry. If you're 18, there'll be an entire new job categories and in industry by the time you're 25 years old, you don't need to decide. You got to decide, figure out who you are, figure out what your values are, uh, figure out what you're passionate about, figure out what you love, figure about what you care about, think about the, you know, how you want to change the world, and then everything else will come to you. But it's not about you know picking a major or picking a job or I want to do this because the world's just changing too fast. And so, so in that case, being undecided turned out to be a huge asset for me because if I hadn't been open to to what the world was offering up, I might have just, you know, walked by that computer one day with that spreadsheet and, and said, wow, that's interesting, as opposed to, wow, that's going to change the world. And then that changed the whole path I went down. I think that that's amazing advice for people. I think too, too often people get pigeonholed in early in terms of, I, I'm going to be this and I'm going to be that. I, I, I I don't know if I shared this early on when we first started to talk. I had a similar experience in that I started off as a poli-sci major, found out that you had to take a foreign language, and I was not that strong at foreign language. And then I found if I could be a business major, I didn't have to take a foreign language. So I, I, I actually got into my field by avoiding something I didn't want to do. And it's it's funny how it works out. And uh, and now my daughter today can speak seven languages, so I don't know where that broke down. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's just interesting, the path. Everybody has their own path. And as long as you're open to it and you're willing to work and learn and grow, people can be successful. There, there is no one path, which is, I think is amazing. So I, I appreciate you so much for doing this for us. Is there any parting advice you'd like to leave for our brothers um, in SAE as, as we close this session out? Well, I, I guess I would say to the, uh, the undergraduates, uh, Time is so fleeting when you're when you're in school, uh, and and I think that one of the things that you know from having gone to reunions over the years and seeing uh, uh, you know great friends and brothers that were these lifetime relationships that were built uh, is to uh, not take for granted that time you're there because it's like it's the old uh, you know truism that you know you get into it uh, you get out of it what you put into it, and I was fortunate. 
you know, great pledge class, you know, great set of brothers over there, great set of mentors, great older, uh, you know, big brother program was great. Uh, but also the things like, you know, like going to, uh, you know, national leadership school, going to a national convention. I mean, those things are fabulous men memories that all contribute and added to the, uh, you know, to the, what I would call sort of that uh, value-based leadership skills uh, that I took out. So if you think, you know, what would I get out of my undergraduate? Yeah, the classes matter, you know, is, you know, I remember some of my professors, but man, I remember, you know, I remember all the amazing parties. I remember all the, in, you know, incredible, uh, you know, victories that we had. I remember the late night talks. I remember the trips we had uh, and, the, and all the things that we did. And, and, there, and it's just a, uh, uh, it's such a great opportunity, the platform that the fraternity provides for value-based leadership that can really, and those friendships that can carry you through your whole life. So I would just encourage, uh, if you're in school right now, like COVID's been, it's been a very odd year, but, uh, you know, coming out of it, uh, there's, you know, going to be big and new opportunities the world's going to present to you. And uh, these experiences are all going to help shape you. So I would say uh, congratulations on choosing SAE. And, and, uh, and again, uh, make the most of it now because it's going to be, it'll be, uh, it'll be the gift that keeps on giving back to you the rest of your life. You got it. Well, Brother Bergham, thank you so much for doing this. I, I really appreciate you. Bye thank now, you. Thank you, Brother Mitchell, and uh, thank you for your leadership and sacrifice. We need uh, business leaders like you coming in and helping drive things at national. It's fantastic. So kudos to you and the great team you've built, and uh, to everybody watching, uh, Phi Alpha. Thank you. What a great interview. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. For more information about the SAE Foundation and its initiatives, visit SAE.net. Stay tuned for brand new episodes focusing on all things SAE and exciting interviews with notable alumni. Next month, we'll be back with another fraternity episode. So as always, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time.